Well, good morning, church family. And if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, I'm Randy, and I'm the lead minister here at the church. Um, I'm so, so glad to get to be with you, so glad that uh, we can worship together as a church family. And uh, if you're new here, I, I would love to spend a few moments uh, of your time in a room that we call the fireside room, and it's going to be out through these uh, glass doors. It's going to be to the right, and I'd love to hear your story and pray with you, get to know you a little bit. And... Um, uh, we've just had a wonderful week here at the church. Uh, we had uh, over 1,700 uh, uh, men, women, children here uh, uh, at the maze. And this room was like, I can't even describe it. Uh, do we have some pictures here? Let's just show some pictures of what we had. Do, do we have pictures? Okay, here we go. So, um, uh, so we had, uh, it was an outreach, uh, both Wednesday nights and Thursday nights, and uh, can just kind of flow through the, let's just kind of flow through the pictures. There we go, there we go, there we go, there we go. Now that's the most important picture right there. So, because I got promoted, I got, you know, I, I, I was at Plinko for several years, but then I got tenure, and then uh, now I'm at, at the golf course. So anyway, we were, we were having a, we were having a lot of fun in that room there, and then uh, there was a little bit of uh, other action downstairs, and uh, next, you just kind of filter through there, Jack Sparrow, and it's fun, good, great. <laughs> Is that Roy? <laughs> I guess so. Looks like Roy. Okay, there's the, there's the six. We didn't have any pictures of this room in here, but this was like a cardboard maze, and it was just a blast. And I think about, uh, you know, when we were uh, planning on the facility expansion and the family life and how, how might God use this to be a blessing to our community and if you were here last week, you got a chance to see that. And it was just, it was just fantastic. Uh, um, so 1,700 over both nights. Here's what I noticed, too. And, you know, we've just come off this series on uh, multi-ethnic conversations. And we're just really following the Lord's lead on uh, our congregation, reflecting uh, the diversity of our community. And, I mean, that was so very, very visible on so many levels uh, this past weekend in terms of diversity of, of ethnicities, diversity of families, diversity of ages, and uh, it was just a, uh, it was a little taste of heaven uh, of what's to come in the life to come. And so I'm just so proud of our church and just the hospitality that we have extended to our community and also the volunteer helpers, uh, the servants that came and, you know, these chairs did not set themselves up. And uh, the rooms did not clean themselves up. And the cardboard maze didn't, it just, just didn't come out of nowhere. So it came because of the, the hard uh, work of love. So I just wanted to, uh, wanted to uh, let you know, I've been thanking God for you. And it's just a privilege to be a part of this church family. So yay, God. Amen. So um, one of the uh, fun parts about being in the golfing section was just getting to see the different costumes that came my way. And I especially loved the costumes, the, the, the muscular costumes of the superheroes that came in. And, and these, these, these little guys and gals that came in and, and they had these 
had this going on, you know? They had this going on. And I often wonder, I often wonder if we feel like we have to wear a costume when we come in so that people will, people will walk in and we're wearing this. And, the, and hoping folks will notice, okay? You know, even pastors sometimes want to put on a costume, right? To show off their guns and their chats because nobody's ever noticed that for me. I better put on a costume, right? And we sometimes make our Bible heroes that way. We sometimes, uh, what do they call it? Caricaturize these very human people thinking that, you know, all their names in the Bible, you know, they must, be, they must be special. Well, their name's in the Bible because God is special. And I want us to pay attention to a particular character in the Bible for the next few weeks. And his name is Samson. Now, what do you think of when you think of Samson? Isn't that what we think of? We think of this guy coming in here with guns and chest and, you know, thin waist. And he's just this muscular guy, you know? What if he just looked like me? No, it's okay. You can, you can, you can think that. I mean, you, can, you know, I'm, I'm not offended by that. I, I, no, really. But what if he was just, what, what if he had bony fingers and flat feet and, you know, and, and was, 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 you know, was not anatomically contoured, you know? What, what, if, what if he was just, you said, well, I thought he was so strong. Ah, ah. But in the Bible where we'll see his enemies try to discover the secret to his strength. Now, if he had been this chesty, bicepsy kind of thin waist, muscular, lean, mean machine, if he'd been, you know, this, this incredible Hulk-like figure that we often imagine him to be, would they have wondered? Would they have wondered? But yet, here's this kind of regular guy. They can't figure out the secret to his strength. And, you know, how can someone who looks like that be so strong? You see what I'm getting at? What if there was a riddle to your life? What if you lived in such a way that the explanation could only be God? Someone once said, live in such a way that your life demands an explanation. Well, I want us to think about this as we learn about Samson's life uh, between now and Thanksgiving. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Judges. Judges chapter 13 You'll find that on page 213 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please uh, uh, avail yourselves to the 
copy that's in the pouch in front of you and receive it as a gift from our church family. We're going to study the entire chapter this morning, uh, but I want us to read verses 1 through 7. Judges 13, 1 through 7. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, that's the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Now let me just interrupt myself. Let's take a look at uh, some maps here just so that we can get oriented, all right? So there's the nation of Israel. Take a look at the major bodies of water. To the left is the Mediterranean Sea. To the top is the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake. It's about 13 miles north to south and about 7 miles east to west. There's the Jordan River. You see that. And then at the bottom is the Dead Sea. At the very top of the section of the Dead Sea, go straight west or to your left is a section called Philistines or Philistia. Now let's move on to the next map. Um, there to the left of the Dead Sea, the Philistines lived in Philistia. There's this tribe, this section called Dan, and there's this town, it's in red, called Zorah. Let's go on to the next slide. So that's the area that we're talking about. This is where uh, Manoah and his wife lived. That's just Samson's hometown. And I want you to see one more slide so that you can get the idea of, so where the Philistines have encroached and invaded this area of Israel called Dan. So if you can imagine a foreign power occupying, you know, this portion of the country or Illinois, I mean, it's, that's what's going on here. The Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Verse 3 continues, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son." No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. This is God's word. So this story is near the conclusion of a book in the Bible The book of Judges, and the key question concerning the book of Judges is this. Who will lead Israel? Who will lead Israel? 
And throughout this book, we see story after story after story of mostly failed leadership. Mostly leaders who are part of the problem of the country and not a part of the solution of the country. Uh, I've been introduced to a biblical scholar who has an interesting life story. His name is Abraham Curavilla. He's a dermatologist, practicing dermatologist, uh, uh, who also has a PhD in theology and teaches at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And he asks the question, who will lead Israel? And he gives a very stark view of the book of Judges. He says, the book of Judges begins bleakly, continues darkly, and ends horribly. That's the book. Welcome to Windsor Road. So, but, but see, when you combine that with the question, who will lead Israel, anytime God is not leading, we're in trouble. And that's what the book of Judges is meant to teach us. The book of Judges details the stories of 12 judges. And by judges, I don't mean like judges in the judicial sense, like our Supreme Court judges or county court uh, judges. I'm not talking about that. Uh, When the Bible uses this word judges in this context, think leaders, think saviors, think deliverers. And for the most part, for the most part, there are a couple of exceptions in the book of Judges, they're broken saviors. They're bro- and Samson is the most broken of all. And we learn more about his story than any other of the judges. Samson is like Breaking Bad's Walter White. I mean, it's just... And you just wonder, you look at his story... Uh, because you're thinking, well, okay, this is not the kind of story that you want to say to your little son or daughter. You know, okay, the point is, be like Samson. No, don't be like Samson. Trust God. Uh, who, who can work with broken saviors? That's the point. One scholar says the book of Judges is not a written memorial to Israel's heroes. It is a witness to God's gracious determination to preserve his people. So the reason why we study Samson is that I want us to learn about God. I want us to learn about his dealings with us. Samson, the broken Savior, makes us long for the true Savior. And what we learn about God by studying Samson's life is that God is a God of grace. And so here's the big idea for this morning. This is what I want you to get if you don't get anything else. God's grace. Grace uses the most unlikely people to do the most important work for the greatest king of all. Grace uses the grace, and by grace I mean unmerited favor, unearned love, undeserved joy. Grace uses the most unlikely to do the most important for the greatest of all. And it's because of God's grace that he doesn't discard us. It's 
It's because of God's grace that he rescues us and changes us and equips us for his work on behalf of his glory and our good. And that's what I want us to see here in Judges 13. Samson, you know, we don't really see his life in this chapter. He has yet to be born, but God's grace is going out ahead, reaching out to the most unlikely people. Now, Judges 13 is divided into three major sections, and the first section is in verses 1 and 2. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see that his grace, his grace is a pursuing grace, a chasing grace. And then, then the second major section is in, in verses uh, 3 through 23. 3 through 23. And uh, we look at God's grace is not just a pursuing grace, but it's a grace that, that pays attention to us even when we're feeling invisible. Anybody here feeling invisible today? Unnoticed. Marginalized. Oh, this is the Sunday you want to be here. And then finally, we'll see as the chapter concludes, verses 24 and 25, that God's grace is an empowering grace. So, per, so pursuing grace and a grace that, that notices and pays attention to us and then a grace that empowers us to do what we can't do by ourselves. That's where we're going this morning. So let's talk about God's grace as a pursuing grace Verse thir uh, chapter 13, verse 1. The Israelites, the people of Israel, again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, the Philistines, we often use that word in our language, uh, meaning barbarian or uncivilized, and actually ancient history proves that the Philistines were very sophisticated people. They were creators of fine pottery and grand architecture. They were very clever urban planners, uh, cosmopolitan devotees of the grape. They, the, the Philistines were the first to forge weapons of iron, chariots, uh, they uh, were advanced in engineering and art, and they, um, and they were brutal. <laughs> Their way of life was built on piracy and plunder. And they flooded Israel's countryside with pork. Oh, man. Cruel to those they captured, the Philistines were superior technologically, militarily, numerically, and they dominated Israel for a generation. And why? Verse 1 tells us why. The people of Israel again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord. It's a phrase that's repeated several times in the book of Judges as if the author is saying, whose eyes are you living for? Are you living for your eyes? Are you living for the eyes of the world? The eyes of your culture? The eyes of approval? Or are you going to live for the eyes of God? And Judges is this merry-go-round of relapse, repentance, rescue and rest and this happens over and over and over again this time it's a 40-year domination the longest in the book of judges uh, mindful of the wilderness experience 
that God's people had before they even entered the promised land. For 40 years, four decades, that's a career. The Philistines oppressed and dominated God's people because God's people just didn't want God. And so God says, well, okay, if you don't want me, I'll step away. And that's when all chaos happened. And, and before, several times in the book of Judges, Israel repents and they cry out to God. Chapter 3, verse 9, Israel cried out to God. Chapter 3, verse 15, Israel cried out to God. Chapter 6, verse 6, Israel cried out to God. Chapter 10, verse 10, Israel cried out to God. Throughout the book of Judges, you know, Israel would kind of get this, this Popeye moment, right? You know, Popeye, the sailor man, you know, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. God, I need you. I have to have you. I want you. They would feel this holy disconnect content and then they would cry out to God but this time in Judges 13 verse 1 after 40 years of uh, of Philistine oppression Israel doesn't cry out anymore their holy discontent is gone either they no longer think to cry out or they no longer think they can cry out what's the point We're beyond the point of no return. And and, and they become spiritually numb. An oppressive culture has beat them down such that they no longer believe that God is there or cares. They no longer think he hears their prayers. So they've stopped resisting the world. And they may come to a religious space, but their heart is just, they just, their heart is without hope. And that's where judges... 13.1 tells us God's people are. And I wonder if there's anybody in here that's like that. I wonder if there's anybody here who's ever assumed that they've gone so far from God, so far from his grace, so far off the path that you thought he had for you and you relapsed and you promised you would never do that again, but you did. And you relapsed again and you rebelled again. And what happens that we begin to think, well, I'm, you know, well, I'm, I'm this much in debt on my visa. What's a thousand more? I'll just go ahead and buy that thing. It'll make me feel good for the time being. What's the point? What's the point? Anybody here like that? I want you to know in that very moment, in your moment, God is faithful. He is. That's what this says. He does not throw us out like trash. He doesn't set us on the curb. He pursues us even when we don't even think that he will or that he wants to. Uh, I want you to understand that today. His grace not only pursues us, his grace pays attention to us. His grace notices us. That's what we see here in this, this next section from uh, verses three on down. So we meet Samson's father, Manoah. Manoah, that's how to pronounce his name, Manoah. We don't know his mother's name. We do know she couldn't have children. We do know that she's anonymous and hopeless. Verse 2 says his wife was barren and had no children. Very difficult, very harsh stigma. And she had just simply resigned herself to her future. I mean, she's not even crying out. Other uh, 
barren women in the Bible, we would read of their crying out to God and that she's not even crying out to God. And maybe she doesn't even think to cry out. She's just, but God disrupts her life. And an angel appears, only she doesn't really know it's an angel. And I want you to notice in verses three through five, the angel does not appear to the patriarch. The angel appears to the anonymous infertile woman. You shall conceive and bear a son. I mean, three times we read about this announcement. You shall conceive, it's going to happen. And the angel told her that her her son would have a special future. Verse 5 says, he would be a Nazarite. A Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? It's not Nazareth. It's not Nazarene, it's Nazarite. What's Nazarite? It's from the Hebrew word Nazir. It means to abstain or separate or be separate. It means to be dedicated to God. Write down in your notes Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. You can read about the Nazarite vow, which was this. God said that if any of his people, man or woman, so desired, they could make a special vow before the Lord and consecrate and set apart their life and their body before God. And what that meant was was to be separate from or to abstain from the cutting of hair, Because your hair would be a sign of your dedication to God. So they would would abstain from the cutting of hair. They would abstain from strong drink. Nothing from the vine. In other words, nothing which might distract one's focus and faculties from God. And then they would abstain from contact with a corpse. Uh, That would make one ceremonially unclean for worship. So the Nazarite vow was voluntary. And it was temporary. It was to be an act of total dedication to God. It's it's sort of like um, voluntarily entering into an intense season of training for God. Okay? Okay? But in Judges 13, God told Samson's mother that the child would be a Nazarite from birth to death. So Samson's entire destiny is a destiny of total dedication to God. And and so since Samson was a Nazarite in utero, she would have to keep the vow too. And so she goes to Manoah after this. And I got to tell you, this is a sort of Comical exchange occurring between this anonymous mom and, you know, her named husband. And so she tells Manoah what happened and what the angel said or the man of God said. And then Manoah sort of wants to insert himself. So he prays for help in how to parent the child. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Well, that's fine. That's fine. But there's really nothing more that Manoah needs to know because the angel has already told everything that needs to be known to Samson's mother. But he kind of just wants to know himself. So he prays, and so the angel comes. And I want you to notice again, the angel does not appear to Manoah. 
Verse 9, God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. And so she's there, and the angel shows up, and she's, don't go away, runs back, goes to get him. He races back to the stranger. He wants intel. He wants to be in charge. He's trying to get more information, but he really can't get more information. Verse 10 says, The woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And the man said, I am. Feel free to expound on this if you would like. Thank you. Okay, well, what do I need to do? I already told your wife what you needed to do. Do you not listen to your wife? No haircut, no grape jelly, no touching zombies. It's a deal. Verse 15. Well, can you stay for dinner, please? You know, let me detain you. Let me prepare a young goat for you. Angel says, no, thank you. I don't do goat. Uh, but you can offer it to the Lord. And see, Manoah doesn't know it's an angel. And he's, he's trying to gain the upper hand. See, even hospitality, in a sense, in a mild sense, but even hospitality is kind of, a, is kind of an act of, of, you know, sort of dominance. And he wants to insert himself. He's trying to, he's trying to get control. And so, so, so what's your name? Verse 17. What's your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, verse 18, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So, so see, the thought of knowing one's name would mean to possess some sense of power over the person. To speak your name is to gain control. And so Manoah's trying to get a handle on the situation, and, and the angel's just not... Taking it, you know, uh, dude, what's with the 20 questions? Why are you asking me oh, my name? My name is Wondrous. That's my name. Meaning, meaning it is, in fact, Wondrous. And, you know, even if I told you, you wouldn't understand. Manoah just, you know, he's poor guy. I mean, he's preparing this offering and the angel is there. And they don't know it's an angel. He's already declined dinner. So they're gathering wood, preparing the altar, lighting the fire, taking this goat, slaying the goat. And, and, and here, perhaps they prayed the prayer from the Hebrew scriptures and the three of them are there. And there's this act of worship that's going on. And, and as the fire is intensifying and the smoke is rising, you can smell the meat and the grain and the aroma of the roasted meat meat and, the, and, and without warning the stranger steps into the fire and ascends verse 20 when the flame went up toward heaven from, from the altar the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground now that is Hebrew for ah! And, and I know that because look at verse 22. Manoah said, we're going to die. We're going to die. We've seen God. I mean, this is the guy who wants to insert himself into the situation to get control. You know, this is my wife. And now why did you speak to her? And what did you say? And she may not have gotten it right. I want to confirm it. And by the way, can I see some ID? Who are you? And then God shows up and Manoah just freaks out. He's, he's trying to keep up with his wife, but he can't. And she has to talk him off the ledge. Right? 
Would, would you just relax? Verse 23. If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. Would you just, you know, calm down, take some Pepsi, you're killing me. You know, the, the, think about it, the culturally accepted leader, the leader of protocol, the patriarch on the floor, God bypassed. For someone whose name remains a mystery. For someone who is powerless, barren, culturally marginalized, obscure, anonymous, God chooses her. God comes to her. God speaks to her. Do you see? God, God comes to those. God not only pursues those who don't even think they can or, or want to pursue him. God pursues, and God pays attention to us when we're feeling anonymous and sidelined, when we feel like we're up in section C. No, no, God sees. God's grace sees the obscure. Christianity is about the God who pursues those who aren't crying out, who sees those who are invisible and without power, who have no talents or gifts to make themselves stand out, who have no hope for the future. And why does he do this? What's in it for him? You know why he does this? Because he loves us. That's what Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8 says. It, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his, the oath that he swore to his fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God does what God does because God is love and God loves. And why does he love? Because he loves. It's because he loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us. Someone put it this way. God does not love the lovely. His love makes lovely those he loves. God does not save the strong. He makes strong those he saves. God does not choose the righteous. He makes righteous those he chooses. And what this means, and please hear me on this, church family. If God pursued me when I was not pursuing him, he's not going to abandon me if I trip and fall. His grip is tighter on me than mine is on his. And that frees me from trying to figure everything out. Because that's what Manoah wants to do here. He wants to try to figure everything out. He wants the instruction manual. He wants the play-by-play. Manoah wants explanation. God offers revelation. We say, why is my life like this? Why am I barren? Why can't I be noticed? We're empty. We're powerless. We're anonymous. We're not strong. God, what are you doing? And you know what God says? He says, my name is wonderful. Yeah, but, but God, I'm hurting. God says, my name is wonderful. God, God I'm, I'm not being, my name is wonderful. My name is wonderful. Trust me. Know me. Be strong in me. Listen, listen. God does not need you to be strong. He's challenging you to be strong in him. No, God never say, God does not need your strength. <laughs> he doesn't. 
He, he wants your availability. That's what he wants. And often, being strong in him requires us to be in a place where there's no other option but him. And that's where these are. And that was the secret of Samson's strength. It wasn't his muscles. It wasn't his testosterone. It was the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God in Samson made Samson strong. And that's what we're told here as this chapter concludes, right? In verses 24 and 25. The woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahana Dan. That's the area of Dan that I showed you. Between Zorah and Eshtael. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. That's the second time that word shows up. Did you notice it? Did you notice it the first time in verse 5? He shall begin to save Israel. So what's going to happen here in these chapters will not be concluded. Not in this book. Judges 13 concludes making us long for more. What's going to happen next? You know, when the Spirit of God is my strength, what's going to happen next? What's it going to look like? And you know, actually, I'll just tell you, spoiler alert, we're going to have to look beyond Samson's life because he's going to disappoint us. He is. I mean, consider his name for just a minute, Samson. Do you know it's a Canaanite name? <laughs> what's a Hebrew leader doing having a Canaanite name? What was mom and dad thinking? Uh, the book of Judges. It means... Sunny. S-U-N-N-Y. Sunny. Sun. It's, it's, it's the sun god. <laughs> What's your name mean? Oh, you're a Hebrew. Uh, What's your name? Well, I'm named after a pagan sun god. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, his life makes us long for the true son. The son of God. And, and, and though Samson's birth brought joy in the midst of shame... Later on in Scripture, we see the birth of the true son, whose, whose actually birth brought disgrace as Mary and Joseph were outcasts because of her out-of-wedlock pregnancy. Samson's birth brought celebration and honor. Jesus' birth was in a place of poverty and shame. Samson was controlled by his impulses. Jesus was controlled by God's will. Samson's first words out of his mouth, chapter 14, I saw a woman. It's downhill from there. Jesus says to his father, I want your will. And you wonder why is Samson mentioned in Hebrews 11? This Paul, well, because of what's to follow in Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the better Samson because his strength would not rest in his physique but in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who stirred in him. And now, through our true Savior's death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of his Holy Spirit to stir in our hearts, we've been commissioned for life in Christ. We are called to be little sons. Oh, yeah, even a name can be redeemed. Light in darkness. 
shining like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. Called to be a city lit up on a hill. Nobody puts a basket on a lamp. Rather, that lamp shines and gives light to all. Into the dark world into which Manoah and his wife lived, light has come. God has broken through, both then and now. Our nation's not so removed from the world of judges, a world seeking light in all the wrong places. But I tell you, this is the place. This is the church community where people can see light True light, brilliant light, loving light, where God's grace is at work. Do you know that there was a family? So folks came uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and all we asked was a donation, a donation for our food pantry. So one of our families came, and as they were being checked in, they inquired about what the food was. And Justin Craig, our family life minister, told me this, that this family came, and they came to participate in the fun of the maze, and the family said, well, would you mind if we took some of this food home? Is this not why we're here? That God's love and God's light would flow from his heart through our hearts to the hearts of people that he wants to reach who aren't even thinking, aren't even thinking that he wants to pursue them. Oh, man. That's why. That's why God has has called us to be a life-changing community passionately pursuing Christ where you can come here and you don't have to wear a costume. You don't have to come to make others think that you're somebody you're not. You can come empty and you can come and God will pay attention to you and love you and fill you with his Holy Spirit.